Welcome back to We Want More, the analysis podcast of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality with me, Stephen Zuber. And me, Brian Deacon. I was going to say, Brian, that, that's your cue. <laughs> I'm so, not very good at this. It's it's a learned skill. If It sounds like the nerdiest thing that one that someone can say, but I've somehow been doing this for years. So you'll you'll get the hang of it. Don't worry. Because this project is going to take us at least three or four years. Did I not tell you that? <laughs> you'll be an old, old man before we're done. Wait, I already am. All right. So I had a couple high-level things before we dive into Chapter 8, Positive Bias. First things first, and I'm already off to a terrible start. Before, I, I so I've finished editing the first two episodes, and I didn't actually measure how much I talked, but I definitely did more than my fair share. And I'm going to make you do a lot more of the talking. I'm aiming for about Fine, two-thirds, but, but at so least half and half. But you're so good at it, Stephen. You're so smart. Oh, that's just terrible. Um, <laughs> I think what it is I'm, is I'm excited, and we weren't really keeping good notes of like chapter summaries and stuff, so we're it was easy to jump all over. But other than that, I wanted to point out that uh, we had a comment on episodes uh, one through five on the website. Um, Nathan Williams wrote in and pointed out I think it was that, on six. It was the second episode. Oh, yes, you're right. It was on episodes, uh, yeah, so episode two, chapter six with regard to the expanding trunk. And of course, now I remember all these examples, and they're perfect. Uh, in Goblet of Fire, remember Moody was held captive in his trunk? I forgot about that now, yeah. Yeah, so the Moody, Moody had a big Who trunk. Who was on the inside the trunk? That was David Tennant, wasn't it? That, that just occurred to me that in the movie, I think the Mad-Eye Mad Moody's, or was the, whatever, I can't remember, the, the dude's son, that the guy that uh, was... Oh, Barty Crouch? Actually, yeah, Barty Crouch. It was Barty Jr., I can't remember. But that guy was uh, David Tennant. Oh, nice. that character and then I just realized he was st- stuffed into a TARDIS trunk that was bigger <laughs> than on the inside just got that I really hope that that was an intentional thing that five they did. millionth nerd to have gotten that well you were the first one I've heard because I didn't even know it was David Tennant's yeah. son or David Tennant um, David Tennant yeah so he also points out uh, Nathan does on the the comment here that in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them that Newt's trunk is large enough to house basically a small ecosystem and <laughs> quote it's amusing how steven is almost tiptoeing around with certain events foreshadow trying not to give away anything or when brian thinks he's caught dun, steven dun, dun, in a oh i don't want to comment on that so it must be important <laughs> dun 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 exactly yeah dun, dun, dun. that's awesome so thanks for writing in nathan yes. and happy to have you as our first read comment out loud i'm all proud of myself i get nerd credit for getting the doctor who connection nailed it and i get to you know establish that I know Doctor Who a little bit. Yeah, because we were all doubting okay. that you were a nerd. I mean, you, here you are recording a podcast about a Harry Potter fan fiction. And that's See, that's, not enough. I was saying that before. You know, anytime I think like, oh my God, I'm such a nerd. Nobody's nerdier than me. I'll like go hang out with other nerds and I will get thoroughly upstaged. And then, but the nerdiest part about that is feeling insecure about not being enough of a nerd is itself pretty nerdy. I have that same insecurity, but I just sort of roll with it. Like Meta. some some people are in their their element talking about something that is esoteric and and way over my head. But I actually, I find that you know humbling and I don't know in, engaging. It's energetic, right? So oh, that's a good lead-in though. That's the the beginning to this chapter. The little the little author's notes kind of stuff that he puts in the beginning. I highlighted a little a little thing there that was completely lost on me. It was some sort of like fanfic acronym soup about 
Draco and I can't, I'm trying to look for it now. Yeah, HPDM bottom exclamation point Draco Mpreg Fick. I had to read that yeah, like five sort of times like before I figured out what the fuck something, something. I think that must be what it's talking about. Um, I get the impression time. that Eliezer read a bunch of Harry Potter fan fiction, and uh, that is probably a sizable subgenre. I and I I'm guessing so. that it must be a. I mean, it looks like it's popular enough to have a shorthand, so... That's the kind of stuff where I'll be like, okay, see, I just can't hang out with you guys. I'm not... I just don't know these things. Well, I don't know these things either, so... (laughs) But if anyone's worried that this is a Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy impregnation fan fiction, the author says, I regret that fanfiction.net does not allow me any larger font size in which to say no. (laughs) All right, we got a book to talk about, man. But first... um, We're talking about it. We are, we're talking about talking about it. What's your but first? But first. But first, you said something really cool after we finished recording, or at least cool to me, and fun to hear. And we had stopped recording, but I thought it'd be worth trying to iterate that essential point if you and felt I, like it. And I, I feel like it. I'm just not going to be able to come up with the same words I said. I said something like, even if I don't end up liking the book, that however I dislike it is going to be interesting. Where I'm not going to be bored by the by the book. I'm like I'm still pretty wound up. I think this chapter ended up like being a little sort of like a mellow kind of break off from the other stuff. But I I was really like wound up about like oh like is Harry going to be this like arrogant douchebag the whole book? And I'm still wound up and where we're we gonna go with that. What so is that banging? You know, Do you hear that? Uh, yeah, I think that's actually my chair. I just noticed that I'm gonna didn't mean to cut not you off. Move now. No way. Um, what was I saying? Oh, that yeah. So, however, I end up feeling about what's going on with Harry, it's going to be interesting how I feel about it. Even so, even if I end up not liking where this goes, or if we end up, you know, that this douchebaggery of Harry so far is just sort of the way we think Harry ought to be, that that's going to be interesting. So, I think that's what I said. Something like, if I dislike it, I'm going to dislike it in an interesting way. Well, I'm not that's, bored. That's good enough for me to get started. So, yeah, and I, I think that's. That's more credit than I think this gets. There was a long discussion on the Discord about, like, a lot of people get turned off immediately and are just like, oh, fuck this kid. I'm not going to read a book about some asshole. And I think people make the mistake of... It's good of, to know I'm not alone. Right. It, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very common response. The difference is, is that you're like, you know what? At least it's interesting. I think people find... They, they, they conflate the author's writing a character with flaws with the author endorsing those character flaws or... Um, those bad behaviors, which yeah, which and, this, and, and that's really like the that's the part where I'm not sure, and it's you know and that's partially like sort of knowing our weird little nerd culture of like knowing that this kind of behavior isn't necessarily the author trying to make a point about it that it just may be like his version of normal, and I don't really you know know that, but like not knowing, and then maybe also like this sounds awful, but just like the the fan fiction element of this, like if this were a commercial you know, I bought it in a bookstore kind of book, then I'd be operating from the assumption like, okay, this got past some editor that decided whether or not like this level of douchebaggery was okay. Uh, and then you would sort of trust like, okay, there must be a point to this. Like this, this has to be going somewhere because somebody got paid for this. Uh, but like here it's like, oh, well maybe, no, I don't know. Maybe this is just this dude. Like, I don't know yet. And that's actually part of what's got me so wound up. It's like, oh, I don't know, because if it is, like, if we are trying to make a point with this, then it's actually pretty cool. But maybe I'm just going to be, like, super disappointed and that the author is just a huge douchebag. 
and I'm saying these things, being super conscious that like there might be some point where I get like an email from this guy because you know if I wrote a bunch of fan fiction and people were doing a podcast about it, I'd want to listen. So, so I'm so I know I know you did a whole book and a whole thing, which is way more than I did, and I'm going to be a jerk, and I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I'm pretty sure they've got enough hate, hateful emails, and I don't think I that guess, uh, um, as far as I know, he finds the time to listen to discussions about it. But I know he still is active on the subreddit. If it were me, I'd be all the time. Just like my ego wouldn't let me not listen. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd be the exact same way. Do people like it? I think with his approach, it's... Mm, I'm trying to think of how to put this. It's intentional uh, that this... Is, well, I don't know. Maybe... I mean, it, it is legitimate criticism that like if your character is so unlikable in the first 10 chapters that it turns people away, even if the character gets better or has character growth or something, uh, that's like... A, that is a, a flaw of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Like, if you know, yeah, if I think if I was like confident that, okay, this is a plot device or not plot device, but like if, if, if I knew that this is on purpose, then it's not so much that, oh, this is just turning me off. But it's that I'm not sure like, oh, maybe it is. So then I'm like, I don't know, like how to get my hopes up. You know, what should I be expecting? Do I sort of like defend myself from the disappointment of like, oh, this is just the kind of douchebaggery that we think is okay? Or is this going to pay off? Well, the the litmus test, like you said, if it was on the shelf, you would assume that some editor passed it. And this doesn't have exactly that same sort of litmus test. But what it does have is a large fan base. I think it is, if not the, the highest read, it is one of the highest read Harry Potter fanfics on the web. And it's got a pretty fervent, appreciative fan base. It also has its share of detractors, but we'll see where it goes. I I really like. And the I guess tone I feel shift. like I still want to keep. I still want to keep saying like like part of why why that stuff bugs me so much is that I can so identify. Like I totally do this stuff, and it's something I don't like that I do. But that's why it bugs me even more. So I just I don't want to come across as like oh you you arrogant douchebag jerks, and I would never act like that. It's, no, I totally act like this. That reminds me, one, of, part of, one of the guys on the Discord is um, the guy who did We've Got Worm, uh, the podcast that this one's inspired by. And mm-hmm. he had said that there was a character in Worm that he had the exact, he said he really enjoyed you expressing that reaction to Harry because he felt that same way about this character. And it gives you sort of this just like, ah, oh, I hate that I can identify with this. He also had, uh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. The idea that an author writes characters that they necessarily endorse their behaviors. If you want to read a book that will basically prove that wrong, read Worm. Um, it's quite the undertaking. It's 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 a big book, but it has the benefit of being from the perspective of one protagonist. But it does interlude chapters every seven or eight chapters, and those are from the char- from the perspectives of different characters, many of whom are twistedly evil, many of whom are uh, you know heroes or, or paragons of virtue. No, there aren't really virtuous paragons there's some but yeah. uh the difference is is that we have that, he's, he's clearly that able to gun. imagine a variety of characters in his head and he can't be all of them right so yeah. he, he the author of worm uh goes by the um i uh what do you call uh an author's name pseudonym pseudonym wildbow um wildbow is capable of imagining the most twisted shit and some really just heartwarming and engaging characters out there so yeah and this one opens with uh this chapter is and probably a big chunk of this chapter is from 
Hermione's point of view, and it occurred to me as I was reading that, I don't think, I think there's like little small snippets in the real books that are from not Harry's point of view, but it's basically entirely from Harry's point of view, all the books. I, I'm trying to remember, there's like little bits, I think probably more that when Harry is like channeling the spirit of other people, like I want to say like sometimes we see things from the point of view of the snake and and other stuff, but I kind of like that was the, when this opened that we got it, because it's not just like, oh, from the point of view of Hermione, but we kind of get into our head a little bit, and I like that. And that's not something that was done in the in the book. I, well, we should get in, we should actually start talking about it. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Um, the only thing, the only time I can remember in the original books where it's from our other characters' point of view is I think it's the beginning of book five or six when it's like the first chapter from Snape's point of view and he's like an, he makes the unbreakable vow with Narcissa and stuff. Oh yeah, but and that's but that's like the yeah the book opens with that and yeah then we like so switch away from it so that's almost like it's a separate little yeah. Yeah, but as far as the annoying, you know, horrible, horrible, um, the occasionally unlikable protagonist of Harry Potter, we are now <laughs> in the head of the, I'm going to just be full fanboy. I love Hermione's character. And she is, I think, this everything Hermione everything that annoys us about Harry Potter. both? I'm sorry, go ahead. You love, it's this Hermione you like, or the original Hermione, or are they kind of the same for you? Oh, good question. I'm talking about this one. I The other one, one, it's been so long, I can't really remember. I basically supplanted her with this one. Yeah, that's like, kind of the issue. Like, I'm in the process of, of, like, all of these characters are new to me, so I'm every new one I encounter, I'm comparing with, okay, how is this different? How yeah. is it the same? How is it different? What do I like about that? What do I not? Um, yeah, no, that's Yeah, this one, she seems a lot more, and probably because we're in her head, uh, for this, she's a lot more human, I think, than in the original books because she's she is a little. I mean, I really like the character in the original, but she is kind of. It's too harsh to say it, but she's a little bit of a prop. Like she's kind of there for other characters to bounce off of. Um, but this one feels like it's more like she is a character in this one. And I remember in the first book, they kind of in the original Harry Potter, they kind of made her like an unlikable know-it-all, like with that you kind of that grows oh, yeah, on that you. Was amazing. But this yeah. one I love right away. I mean, she's, yeah. and it's it's also like you said, the first time we get a glimpse inside the head of somebody else, other than like the very brief, um, like, kind of third person perspective of Professor McGonagall giving her report to Dumbledore at the end of what oh, chapter yeah. five or six. Yeah. So the first thing with Hermione here is that like I can't remember how smart she was supposed to have been in book one of the original Harry Potter, but in this, she seems always to- super smart. Yeah. Oh, good. Was she this smart? I feel like this Hermione got a level up. Her, no, actually, probably, if anything, like, at least her role in the in the original books are she's the, like, if the plot ever needed, and right here somebody was really super smart, that was always Hermione. And, and Harry very much wasn't, like, the smart kid. So, yeah, if there was ever, like, oh, and quick, somebody needs to be really good at something, that was always Hermione. It's like, oh, we need somebody to be, you know, cast just the right spell right now. That was usually Hermione. Right on. Um so yeah, so yeah, well, and, and and so that did kind of turn it into, uh, it kind of made her kind of a little more robotic and mechanical in the books, and also because we never really get to see her perspective of things. I liked on this one because it opens with it's not just you know that we're seeing her perspective, but it's her sort of being like insecure and like I don't know what to do, and almost directly talking about the mechanicalness of how she acts, and she's like, oh, I wish somebody would just tell me how I'm supposed to make friends. 
Totally. And your uh, chair which is still making light. tons of noise, by the and way. I know. I can't. Let's, here, that's, let's it's, hang on. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. Now it's got to keep doing it because I'm, I guess I'm just going to have to sit very, very still. All right. What was I saying? Talking about Hermione and how uh, she feels mechanical and. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That it opens with her, like, both feeling awkward, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to talk to other kids, wishing that that somebody would just tell her, how are you supposed to make friends with people? Um, which is, A, I think, like a total insecurity that we can all relate to. Um, but it was nice because it's sort of like her being kind of a level of vulnerable that we don't you know, see in the original books at all. So I thought that was good. And it was kind of, especially it was a, a change because the, the, everything else, especially with Harry sort of like being in people's faces with how he's like encountering all the kind of... It, new developments in his life that this one was a little less um, confrontational but in a good way so I like that yeah I also like that in a couple of minutes into her chapter we get what it's like to be on the other end of a conversation with Harry Potter um, <laughs> yeah which has its moments so yeah it she it, it, it opens with her, like you said, feeling awkward. And really, she knows how to engage people if they're like, hey, can someone help me with my homework? But she doesn't yeah, just know how to sit down and start a conversation about, like, what? Yeah, and that the how much emphasis there was put specifically on her helping people. And that, like, she felt like it was hard for her to interact with anybody because nobody needed any help. And that the way... And then their interaction later with Neville was like, oh, okay, here's somebody for me to help. That wasn't really anything I keyed in. That wouldn't have been how I would have described um, the original Hermione. And it made me wonder. So it wasn't bad at all, but it made me wonder, like, is that is that a change that the author decided, like, that that's how they were going to make this Hermione? Or if was that how they saw the original Hermione? Was that what they thought made her tick? And it occurred, occurred to me that maybe that is, but it was interesting because that's not really what my take on on her was my read on it was that this is how we're going to see this Hermione is she's somebody who just loves helping people and wants to uh you know wants to make friends and make bonds with people but she does it her 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 icebreaker is being helpful and that that says a lot about her character you know it's not like she is looking for an opportunity to show off how smart she is it's like oh sure I can help you with whatever you need you know find the right uh, train car, help you with your homework, whatever, right? She's just a, she's a nice person. Yeah, I thought it was, and it seemed pretty clear, like, like they were trying to, I keep saying they, he, the author, um, was, do it, that this was a conscious choice. He's trying to develop that in this character. So I thought that was nice. It showed, I, and then a few, a few of the other interactions later in this chapter, like, there's a few things here where you can, like, feel his affection for these characters, and it's nice when those kinds of things come through. Totally. And it shows that he's capable of writing from more than one perspective. You know, he's not just going to write the genius asshole character, right? (laughs) Not the whole time. So I'm not sure. You pulled out a big snippet here, which I like, and you're welcome to read the whole thing or however much you want. But we sort of talked about it, or you can read the whole quote. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. So this is in the beginning, and she's sitting, and it's kind of like this scene is sort of a rewind. Like, like we've traveled back an hour or two in time from from the Draco stuff, I, I, at least I imagine. I think they're um, on the train on the so way the, to Hogwarts. Isn't this after? Okay. Oh, okay. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they're, cause they're already off. Um, yeah, I guess I was thrown a little bit because there's just description about her wanting to like sit down and start reading a book. 
And so I was then picturing like they're on the platform, but I guess this is in the train. But anyway, that's not really important. So she, she starts to say, aside from helping people with their homework or anything else they needed, she really didn't know how to meet people. She didn't feel like she was a shy person. She thought of herself as a take charge sort of girl. And yet somehow if there wasn't some request along the lines of, if I can't remember how to do long division, then it was just too awkward to go up to someone and say, what? She'd never been able to figure out what. And there didn't seem to be a standard information sheet, which was ridiculous. <laughs> the whole business of meeting people had never seemed sensible to her. Why did she have to take all the responsibility herself when there were two people involved? Why didn't an adult ever help? She wished some other girl would just walk up to her and say, Hermione, the teacher told me to be friends with you. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I thought that was interesting because it was both like, you know, she's like insecure and doesn't know how to do it. But it was also this very weird sort of like this nerd robotic kind of like, oh, I just don't know how to, you know, interact with people. It seems like she doesn't have a problem with interacting with people. It's just like how to start the interaction. But I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's the sort of classic thing where you like, you just don't like, if as long as you can stop thinking about it, it's fine. It's when you overthinking it and you're like, oh, wait, what? I also really like the last bit about how, why didn't adults ever help? She just wished some other girl would walk up to her and say, Hermione, the teacher told me to be friends with you, which is essentially exactly what happened. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I didn't put that together until you said that. Well, I mean, it's, it is. Yeah, it's like, kind of funny. Well, and this is sort of a little bit, at least for me, like this isn't neither this part of Hermione she has fairly in common with Harry. It's not exactly the same, but it's pretty similar. And I would say that's not, not the way most people uh, act, but it's something I think. But a lot of people that are the kind of people like us that read fan fiction are, can probably relate to this pretty well. <laughs> what's interesting too and this is just drawing out to me that maybe the difference you're right they're both like kind of mechanical and have trouble forming bonds with people but maybe the difference that makes a huge difference between these two characters is that Hermione wants that you know she wants to make yeah. friends with people she she seeks out companionship where Harry kind of we didn't get that impression we, you know he yeah. seemed bored with other people and that's what I like about yeah that we got to see this from her point of view so you kind of get to see that like you know, we all do this, and so it's nice to get, like, we got to be, you know, inside that headspace. Yeah, so, oh yeah, Harry's looking for a girl that knows the six flavors of Quark, which I guess we can take your read on. What do they, they're not, I call it flavors, they call it, what, what do they call it, because there's all the weird I think it's just the six the quarks. Quark. There's a six, six quarks, but I, because I want to say they're like a measurement of a quark. It's not like you have a strange quark. It's that a quark has strangeness or something. I don't, uh, there's I don't different, yeah, flavors. Quarks. I need to brush up in my quantum physics. I, I do know that. So there, I want to say it's like, like the way, uh, like the way protons, neutrons are positive or negative that like they're strange or not strange. I can't, I don't know. I don't uh, know it has to do with the spin and other yeah. things. I, I read brief history of, or what was it? Stephen Hawking's book, the A History of Time was that it? Yeah, A Brief History of Time. A uh, Brief History of Time, yeah. Uh, and he talked about these things, but that was ten years ago. So, quantum physics aside, he's he's looking yeah. for. Can anyone tell him this obscure quantum physics fact, or can they tell him where to find Hermione Granger? Which I'm sure totally made him like the popular kid as he's running around the train asking everybody to tell him about quarks. You mentioned that like happened in real life. There's some kid at school grilling everybody about like quarks. You'd be like, okay. I Especially if that kid's concealing their face with a scarf and just like muffling to <laughs> Can you tell me the six quarks? Getting his guard to like, all right. And then, yeah, Hermione peeks out and, and is like, uh, do you need help with something? And which is great because, you know, first thing, that's how she approaches the conversation. Oh, yeah. Can I help you? 
Um, and then he says, not unless you can tell me the six quarks or tell me where to find Hermione Granger. And she gives him the six quarks and says, and why are you looking for her? And then, I know, like, I thought it was interesting that she was, she's going to go ahead and name the six quarks because she can't not, she can't pretend not to know. Uh, but still not going to admit to being Hermione Granger right away. Right. And then he identifies her as Hermione Granger. And she's like, I never said that I was Hermione Granger. And he says, I never said that you said, I never said that you said you were Hermione Granger. I just said that you were Hermione Granger. And then I liked how you pulled out this quote too about PC or NPC. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is another few places where he seems not at all shy about having these like break the fourth wall. Uh, things and they, usually, and they usually work pretty well. So how did he say? He's like, technically, all I needed to do was look for you, but it seems likely that I'm meant to talk to you or invite you to join my party or get a key magical item from you or find out that Hogwarts was built over the ruins of an ancient temple or something. PC or NPC? That is the question. <laughs> I should say, PC or NPC? That is the question. I think he's um, just treating his life like a video game, which I totally love. Yeah, and I, these these little snippets like that work well. It's just sort of a like we're having fun with this. Like we're not pretending this isn't fan fiction. Yeah, they're funny. They, yeah. they work well. I guess this could get overdone, but so far every time he's done it, it's worked. I agree. I think um, it it is the sort of thing that could play too much, but it's he's treating it like it's fan fiction, but also like I can just briefly relay, relay this to my real life. I can't remember where I picked up this idea. It definitely wasn't original with me, but uh, you know, if you get bored, you know, like glasses would give you like, you know, plus 20 dexterity or something. And like my button up shirt that I was wearing when I wrote this note, it adds three to weather resistance and two to my style category or my charisma or something. Right. Oh yeah. We used to like at work, people put like the, the sticker, like the Linux stickers on their laptop or whatever. And it's like, that's plus one to intelligence, but minus two to charisma. (laughs) Yes. I think that's a good summary of a Linux sticker. (laughs) (laughs) This This is totally irrelevant side thing but it's something that always like any kind of like sword and sorcery video game or any kind of game at all like you always need to pick the wizard like a character because that's who the creator of that game is and they always like make the game dynamic such that like okay you're gonna be really weak in the beginning but in the end you're gonna be the most powerful character there is because that's it's this really thin obvious metaphor for our lives and the game is going to be rigged in favor of the guy that made the game. Always be the wizard. I can relate to that. Not necessarily because I'm designing games, because I'm not. But I, I always play the wizard and for the simple reason that if I was in like Skyrim, for example, and I got to decide, all right, am I going to go hit the gym and pick up a big sword? Or am I going to learn how to shoot fireballs out of my hands? I'm going to learn how to shoot fireballs. Because if I'm going to get into a fight, I'd rather be able to set the guy on the other side of the room on fire without putting myself in any danger, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's the it's the long game. Yeah. And, um, oh, I read over your quote. This was later down where he he says that, you know, I know that you're, I didn't say you, you said you're Hermione Granger. I just said that you were. Um, <laughs> and then. Oh, yeah. asked, Good evening, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. My name is Harry James Potter Evans Ferris or Harry Potter for short. And that probably doesn't mean anything to you for a change. But yeah, this what I thought when I was reading all that. There's And there's a couple spots in this chapter that uh, uh, where he comes off very uh, Sherlock Holmes, which again is another one that I have mixed feelings about. I actually never really liked the character of Sherlock Holmes for exactly the same reasons. Are you um, talking 
Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock Holmes or no actually uh, actually I think Benedict Cumberbatch did a pretty good job because he's just sort of like weirdly like psycho like the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock Holmes isn't like this arrogant everything I know you know I know everything and can tell you who the murderer is because of the dandruff on his shoulder I mean he's Um, also that but he's also yeah but he's not a psychopath yeah yeah the highway a high functioning psychopath yeah the the television one isn't doesn't have all of the the things that I disliked about it much. I'm probably conflating all the you know the retellings of Sherlock Holmes from the original. I can't even I don't even think I got all the way through the original. Um, that's not so much that particular story's fault as that kind of everything written in that time is pretty hard to get through. I but, uh, I tried them. I read a handful because I was a big fan of the uh, uh, Robert Downey. Yeah, I read some of the short then. stories. Yeah. yeah, I read the short stories. I don't know if I read any book length ones. My main problem with the short stories versus like the TV show was the. F- this is totally an aside from a Harry Potter whatever. But on the first episode of the Benedict Cumberbatch TV show, the mystery is solvable to the viewer. And granted, we had the clue from the beginning scene, but I figured out that it was a cab driver before Sherlock did. And mm-hmm. we are able to figure it out because we get to see what he sees. And like when he's going over the clues, you can see the text of his thoughts. You know, like the ring is dirty, um, her the inside of her jacket is wet or something, like random little things like that. Where yeah. when you read the stories, he just pulls everything out of his ass. And he says, oh, yeah, the clay on your pants from earlier only comes from this kind of brick, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you didn't tell us that before. We didn't get a chance yeah, to solve this so- mystery. Yeah, and that's the part that always bothered me about it is that it's so not at all plausible, but yet somehow, you know, given as some evidence of his genius, I'm like, well, no, it's because the author's rigging the whole game for you to be able to figure it out. It reminded me, now we're just completely off in the weeds, but it reminded me, like, one of the things I really liked about Dune uh, with Paul Atreides is he sort of has that same sort of, like, Superman, you know, mental abilities, um, to just sort of figure out like one of the best scenes in that book is just them having dinner and everybody's like figuring out who's betraying who else just by the tone in everybody's voice. But there's like a purpose to that is that it's a way to show that this guy is superhuman, like it is his superpower and that these things aren't, um, you know, a normal person can't do this, like even just a mere mortal can't do this. Uh, and I think that's kind of the disconnect. So that's what made it really cool in that book and then disconnect in, in these other times. It's like, okay, but in reality, people aren't really this smart and these aren't, the, you know, there isn't, well, it's not even so much, like smart is not how you can figure out that the color of the clay on his shoes is how you know he's the murderer, blah, blah, blah. Like these things just aren't knowable and it's not a level of, oh, you're just not smart enough not to have known it. Um, that's what, that's, that stuff kind of irks me. That's actually um, a really relevant tie into this story as a whole because, Sherlock Holmes, you you can't train to be like Sherlock and to become as smart as he is because he's a, a he's an X Man style mutant, right? He's got mm-hmm. he he just knows everything. Where Harry Potter, explicitly, you can learn the techniques that he has. You can learn everything he knows and become as smart as he is. And so that's it. That's an essential and explicit difference. Um, where Harry is, he's smart, but he's not unobtainably smart. Yeah. Uh, not according to him, though. Again, we'll we'll see if that it sounds because it's some you can tell for some of this. This is intentionally supposed to be like he's supposed to be arrogant. Again, I'm not sure like where is the line, but but some of this seems pretty clearly on purpose. Um, yeah. Anyway, so then he takes off his uh, face concealing stuff and gets into the compartment, and uh, she realizes that he's Harry Potter, 
and tells him that he's in books, which he's briefly surprised about, and then goes on to recount everything that she's read about him. Literally everything that she's read about him, it seems. Yeah, and she goes through another little, like, oh my god, I didn't know I was going to be tested on these books, but she can still remember it all, and, like, rattling off, all you you were in this book, you were in that book. Right. Uh, and that was pretty, that, that was very old school Hermione. That, and that, Yeah, that I, I like how she's like, she, she didn't know she was going to be tested, so she'd only read them once, and then Harry asks if she has an eidetic memory, because she just pulled all of that trivia off the top of her head, and... She is like, no, it's not photographic. I have to. I had to read my books five times to memorize them, and he was like, he's <laughs> kind of intrigued and suspicious, and he's got this line that I think is, you know, th- this could be the the a lot of Harry's thinking. I keep tying back to programming, but like trust but mm-hmm. verify. Yes, it's like yeah, sure, I'm sure isn't you did a good a, job. Isn't trust but, but verify like a Reaganism. <laughs> I think that was Reagan talking about the Russians. It's uh, trust but verify. Could be. Well, that, that adds some, some darkness to it, but I like it just for the idea of, <laughs> you know, even if I, if I write this stuff and I'm like, I'm pretty sure it works, but I'm also going to write tests because I, why, why would I settle for pretty sure? And uh, he offers her a comment T. We've stopped calling it that though by now, thankfully. It's kind of a hooky name. The comment T? Oh yeah, he called yeah, it a pop. Comment T. Yeah. Well, because he didn't want to oh, tell, yeah, I, I don't think he didn't, I think he didn't want to clue her into yeah. what it was because he wants her to do a spit take. So he offers yeah. her the comment T and yeah. Oh, that we, so I think, but before we got there, um, wasn't there before that, that was, that was his, cause he wanted to sort of test her. That's what the trust, but verify part of it was, is that he went, he asked her, does she have an eidetic memory? And she's like, no, but then he, he's like basically wanting to like, you know, grill her. The part, it was a kind of a weird vibe to that whole thing, but he's like, okay, prove it. Even though she didn't claim any of it, but well, she said she had memorized he's sort of books. like testing. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah, he's sort of like, you know, taking her brain out for a test drive or something. It was kind of this weird, like, and that, that turns into her, like she says, you know, she likes taking tests. So, well, so he tests her a couple of times. Are you talking when he grills her on her potions, like her, her memorization? Yeah, of there the was that. Book? Yeah. I guess it just starts with that. Yeah. So that, that's different than what he does later. He's just testing her claim that she's memorized her textbooks. And then his test later is specifically testing if she can basically do science. Yeah. But yeah, he asks, uh, so he gives her the, I, I just like how he gives her the common T and then he drops the bomb of, oh, I have a proposition for you. I want you to help me take over the world. And then she just like calmly sets the drink down and she's like, no, thanks. I'm not evil. <laughs> yeah. Which we thought we were expecting that was going to be the spit take. Exactly. And so, clearly and he like, was too. Yeah, no. And so then you pulled out the next quote of when he's elaborating on what he meant by take over the world in a not evil way. Yeah, yeah. So he says what he says. What I mean is the the affecting of all things possible, and so on. I want to conduct experimental studies of spells, figure out the underlying laws, bring magic into the domain of science, merge the wizarding and Muggle worlds, raise the entire planet's standard of living, move humanity centuries ahead, discover the secret of immortality, colonize the solar system, explore the galaxy, and most importantly, figure out what the heck is really going on here because all of this is blatantly impossible. Uh, my reaction with what I had written about that is like, it's, so he is the male equivalent of a Mary Jane. You mean the, the Mary Sue, the TV trope? Mary Sue. Sorry. Oh, did, did I write? I wrote Mary Jane, didn't I? I meant Mary Sue. That's all right. I was only pretty sure because uh, the male equivalent is a, Mar- is a Marty Stew. Marty Stew. I did not. Which is a, is a common criticism of Harry here. And we'll, we'll see if that pans out. What a Mary Sue, what a Mary Sue is, is sort of contentious, but it's, even the TV Tropes article on it You're is really like long and refuses to give awesome. a straightforward definition. But it's like, what, the, the author 
writes a fan fiction that they self-insert themselves into and they're like the most compelling character ever and everyone loves them they're really mm-hmm. interesting they're beautiful this and that so yeah harry comes off like a like a mary sue for sure um sometimes I'll yeah say. And it's sort of like it kind of goes back and forth because there it's like just to some extent that like speech kind of worked on me a little bit you're like oh, yeah this will be cool but then you're like okay that's just a bit overly much right there but, yeah well, I mean, that is that is the grand that's that's the end goal. But yeah, he, I think what he's just he's still but just part of that part of that is you're like, oh, what if you could be like again, like it's you know Dumbledore with machine guns? That would be awesome. Would be pretty cool. So, part, um, you know, part of, it's it's working on me a little bit. I keep being torn. I just her response to that though is just she looks at him and she's just like, and, <laughs> and he's like, and right. that's not enough. She's like, well, what do you want from me? Well, I want you to help me to do the research, of course. With your encyclopedic memory added to my intelligence and rationality, we'll have the Baconian project finished in no time. Where by no time, I mean probably at least 35 years. <laughs> this sounds like the part in the the musical version of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality where they then both break out into song. You know, I know the author's seen that. With your brain, and I know that I my haven't. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I maybe need to see this at some point. Wait, that there's a there is a musical? No. No, there is. See, the thing you don't know about Brian Deacon is how much I hate musicals. Uh, I've only seen a few mus- musicals. I, I don't know if I have enough to say I like or hate them. I can say that I dislike a lot of them, but I've had fun. I've never seen a Harry Potter musical. I think I'd have to be in the right headspace for it, but I'm aware that it exists. Is that a thing? Oh, were you kidding? Know. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a thing. It's popular. It's called a Harry Potter musical. Oh, alrighty then. Yeah, no, it's it's been around for at least 10 or 12 years, maybe 15 Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's out there. Um, I thought you, that you had seen it and you were referencing it because you no, basically hit it directly. Am, That's hilarious. I am, I am a better person for not having known that, and now I'm not. I've made you a work. Well, at least you haven't <laughs> seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's not likely to happen. I get stabby around musicals. Oh dear. Oh, so this is the uh, the part with the comment tease, and this this is. The fun setup, and I thought this was a just a really good like character moment for being on the receiving end of a Harry Potter encounter. <laughs> like he he pitches that idea of you know why don't you help me for thirty five years my project, and she's like well I haven't seen you do anything intelligent maybe I'll let you help me with my research which is a great you know kind of turn it around on Harry kind of thing. Yeah, I like that later, and then and that pays off a little bit later. Yeah, and then uh, he's like, oh, so you're asking me to demonstrate my intelligence and. This quote was the one at the top of the chapter. I warn you that challenging my ingenuity is a dangerous project and tends to make your life a lot more surreal. And she's, <laughs> I'm not impressed yet. And then she's drinking. It says, unnoticed, the green drink rose once again to her lips. Uh, well, maybe this will impress you. He leaned forward and looked at her intensely. I've already done a bit of experimenting, and I found that I don't need the wand. I can make anything I want happen just by snapping my fingers. And... <laughs> Then this is, is her that spit what makes take. her do the spit take? That's the spit take. Yeah. And then she shrieks because it's ruined her brand new robes on the first day of school, the first time she's ever worn them. And he's like, don't panic. I can fix it for you. Watch. And he snaps his fingers. And then <laughs> the the green fizzy drink evaporates and she looks at him and she he's she's just like, like oh my God, of, he can cast spells without speaking, without a wand. Right. And he then one, one of the conspiracy theories was... Oh my God! All of the Dark Lord's magic in his scar, and she gets up, and I, I, I need to go to the toilet. Wait, wait right here, all right. And she had to go find a grown-up and tell him. 
I think she had the exact appropriate reaction to uh, suddenly thinking that you're in the presence of Lord Voldemort, or at least whatever, all of his power or something. But her first impulse is, I need to go find a grown-up. And it doesn't say a teacher. It doesn't say, a, you know... Um, a grown-up. Whatever. Yeah, a grown-up. I just like kind of... She, she's aware, like, oh, shit, I'm a kid. I don't know. Something about the word grown-up just sounds like something a kid would say, and I liked that. Mm-hmm. And then he explains that it was a trick. And gives her, the, gives her the chance to do science to try and figure out what he did. Yeah, and that's where then it goes into like, okay, tell me how you think it happened. This part was pretty hokey. Really? Um, I mean, sorry, I won't challenge. Yeah, I, won't, I won't challenge your reading of it. I love it. Was it. The, uh, it was the. I mean, it, it was the because it was so awkward. Like the interpersonal part of it was so awkward because it's super condescending um, on Harry's part, where he's like trying to walk her through. You know what's like. It's kind of kind of the point of science stuff is it's fairly intuitive uh, most of the time. So he's you know walking her through like quote the scientific method. Um, it's just sort of it was sort of unrealistically like if she's so smart in so many other ways like these are not going to be like new concepts to her. So it's just it it was it was sort of a little contrived the level of he's like going to bring and and this part kind of like it it did work a little bit where you, I just sort of like disconnected from the plot advancement slash interpersonal parts of this that it was more like okay this is kind of the point of this book is like we are excited about like these ideas and so this is us going to kind of walk through one um and so to that extent it still kind of worked but um but yeah it was still a little awkward in the the level of in order to try to have this kind of like where the story has this kind of teaching moment for us as readers it made this interaction between harry and hermione kind of awkward because it was kind of unrealistically lopsided um and that what he was teaching her was kind of uh not as unobvious as he was trying to make it sound so it wasn't too bad it just kind of came off a little awkward um especially kind of more so at the moments where he's like is that your answer and sort of the way he was having to kind of walk her through stuff seemed kind of forced i don't know it's just the whole thing was just a little bit off there's it, it sort of clunked along awkwardly as far as a story i wonder if part of that re- and i completely understand that reading of it but i wonder if part of it comes from haven't you been like a software developer for like 20 years uh yeah i guess wow yeah or something like that something like that so uh, yeah. I, think, I think the That's idea, fine. the insight that he provides her, which is to basically attempt to falsify and focus on what your what your what your belief doesn't predict, is super intuitive to you. But her her steps of a scientific investigation are exactly what I was taught in school. I mean, as an eleven year old, I'd be str- I'd struggle to even remember the you know do an experiment part, right? Like. So she's already, I think, demonstrating her her above average intelligence by knowing what the steps are to do science as taught to you in school. And also it's worth pointing out, I guess, some meta knowledge that the author didn't finish high school because, well, partly probably the sleep disorder. I think it was also that they were they found that. Oh, is that so that thing about Harry was was real for the author? Yeah, I mentioned that before, except the author's uh, sleep cycle was like 24 hours and 15 minutes or something. Huh, interesting. Which over the course of, you know, a day isn't that bad, but over the course of two weeks, near off by, what, three hours? So 
the that's suspiciously close to Martian time. <laughs> Maybe that I think I think it is something like just over twenty four. Oh, we'll have to talk to Eliezer about that. He claims to have two human parents. <laughs> so her her steps of how to do science I think are what I was taught in school. I mean, or certainly. In, through primary school, maybe up until high school, because I had really good science teachers in high school. But through that, it was just, all right, f- you know, I, like the bullshit science projects we did in elementary school, which is how old these kids are supposed to be. You know, I remember I did one, mm. like which brand of batteries lasts the longest. And I would, I bought three different kinds of batteries, turned on three flashlights and see what, you know, saw which ones died first. You know, it wasn't blinded. It wasn't. Yeah, I guess that was. I was. Yeah, I was trying to think. I don't remember. I guess it was more like early elementary school that had that kind of the the hokey scientific method kind of stuff. I didn't remember like once being at an age old enough to really be thinking about it that it was this kind of you know rote and you know fixed ideas of okay first we do this and then we do an experiment. I don't know. It just seemed like super simplistic. But yeah, I guess I do remember that. But that was like elementary school, I think. And maybe that's what made this seem so off was that like, I mean, yeah, they're, I guess they're only supposed to be 11 or 12, but that's still, that's not, you know, that's not an eight year old. I mean, I, 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 see, I, I mean, are they you. really only supposed to be 11? I, of, what, what grade is that supposed to be? Because I always picture them as being like seventh graders. Don't you have a daughter who's 11? She is. And she's in fifth grade. So that's what makes me think like, like they really should be more like 12 or 13, which is, I think, how more how they were portrayed in the movies. Well, like we talked about before, part of it is like 11-year-olds couldn't have this much fun as characters for adults to read about, right? So That's true. Um, I mean, even like the Harry Potter from the first book, he's a kid. And when I read him, I was a kid. And he's he's fun and lovable, but he's not particularly interesting, uh as like yeah. a as a person it's more like the story is interesting uh i think this this book kind of just like part of it wants to take a conceit that like yes they have to be 11 because this is year one at hogwarts but i don't want to write about a bunch of stupid kids yeah not saying i guess that's maybe stupid, what, but, but the disconnect then is that you know i'm read i read those characters as the little bit older that makes them interesting and then this thing is you know for somebody who's that level of smart that this other stuff just seems like no really the kid's gonna you know, this, this quote, scientific method stuff isn't so, you know, magically complicated that most people aren't just going to understand it intuitively already. Uh, I think that the, (laughs) I am trying to find a way to politely disagree with you. That's what I'm so, uh, so I know what you're going. It's like, ah, but people aren't that smart. And that's the kind of arrogance of quote, I am really smart people. No, it's not that. Uh, I'm just saying that most, most people, if you asked, if you, if you pulled a random muggle on the street and said, what's the scientific method, they wouldn't be able to tell you. So like the baseline human isn't going to be able to give you. That's just because for most people, that kind of stuff doesn't really matter because it has no like bearing in their day-to-day life. But if you took the five minutes to explain it to, I think most people, it's not going to be that, you know, they're going to be like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think Hermione internalizes the lesson once she gets it right away. She's smart. She learns things very quickly, but she had never been taught how to do science right. So she... she see, this is a, I, I don't know. See, that's the part. I don't buy it because right. it's not... We can test this experimentally. That's, that was off for. <laughs> we, we, no, we can test this experimentally before the next episode. We'll design a very simple experiment for your daughter, who's 11, and ask her, mm-hmm. what are the steps you would do to test this? But don't, you know, don't, don't give her any hints. Say, write down the steps you're going to do to test this experiment. Yeah, I guess that works. 
And is that, if, and and if she has in there, attempts to falsify my experiment, I'll then mow you $5. <laughs> Or attempts to falsify my hypothesis. I guess, yeah, I mean, if they really, and that's that's the part where it gets weird is that like, okay, yeah, you can say that's not, yes, an 11-year-old wouldn't know that, but also there's, you know, the entire chapter wouldn't have happened with 11-year-olds. So the people at the level of intelligence and maturity that these characters are being portrayed at would not, like if all the other things that have been not at all hard for them to grasp, this scientific method stuff wouldn't have been hard either. It was just, I mean, it's not big, because, I mean, that was kind of a big point that he was trying to make with this chapter, so he needed to do it, and I just, it, like, just felt like it wasn't executed super well. That's fair. I, I, we don't have to belabor it too much longer, and I, t- I totally get what you're coming from, but I do want you to do that experiment with your daughter if you want to win five bucks. All right. All right, report back right. for me. Five um, bucks. So, she she goes through what she was taught as the, the basic steps of science for my hypothesis, and she guesses, okay, well, I bet that it's, uh, you changed my robes. And he's like, okay, is that what you think it is? And then she was like, Nate, wait, hold on. That can't be it. Cause you didn't, I didn't see you cast a charm. And then, okay, maybe all the robe, robes are charmed. And he's like, okay, is that your answer? And she's like, no, I haven't tested it yet. And then he's kind of happy because testing something is, uh, I think this is maybe the, and I, I see what you're saying. Like, they're not talking like 11-year-olds. So the, the level of people that they're talking yeah. at would get this. But she, she, I don't know, testing your, your prediction is very counterintuitive to the average person. Um, I think even to the average 15-year-old, right? I think it's crazy intuitive to you because you can't be a, a software developer and not have that be just in your DNA, right? After some time, it just it sinks in. But test, testing your beliefs is not the base is not the default position i think many people jump from but we'll push past that see and i guess where i would go is see i think really like we pat ourselves on the back you know overly much that i think for me and for anybody it's not really anybody's normal position to be in it's like if you can stop to think about it then you would but most of us spend 95 percent of our time not stopping and thinking about it even when i'm doing really hard stuff like programming that's this like other part of my brain that just just kind of like going off on its own like knowing where the semicolon belongs but you know for the most part we're usually everybody's operating on autopilot most of the time pc or npc that is the question see we spend most of our time being npcs i i i agree for the most part we're just hanging out so the the longest word of it is that she guesses that all the robes were enchanted and uh it evaporates off of his robes too and that confirms her hypothesis so she thinks she got it right and he says uh but you didn't which this is a, a quote that i really liked um that she feels the stab of disappointment and She's like, you know, she shouldn't have felt that way. The boy wasn't a teacher, but it was still a test and she'd gotten a question wrong. And that always felt like a little punch in the stomach. But then there's this quote in parentheses that I really love and is really endearing about the character of Hermione Granger that it said almost everything you needed to know about Hermione Granger, that she never let that stop her or even let it interfere with her love of being tested is that it hurts for her to fail, but that doesn't, that doesn't stop her. You and I both pulled that quote. Yeah, and then what I said about that, like, I really like these little moments where, like, you could tell that was this really sincere moment for the author where he's just like, you know what, I really love Hermione Granger, and this is one of the things I love about her. So I like these little moments that come through. Me too. Um, 
So then in an attempt to give her another shot at answering the the correct uh, puzzle to the the comed T, he gives her the two four the two four six task where eh, I was gonna summarize it, but you should be reading along. So anyone who wants to know what it is can read the book. But it's a numbers thing. It's a, it's a numbers it's a game. Yeah, it's a mind puzzle. Yeah, and she falls into basically what's called positive bias, where she thinks of hypotheses, and to her credit, she thinks of more than one hypothesis, and then tests the other ones, and it tur- she thinks so. Eh, I'm trying. There's the summary is that she thinks of multiple hypotheses, and then. Uh, she finds she finds a like a narrative that explain that could be true, but doesn't consider what other things right could also be true. Importantly, she never got a no on the test, yeah. and so it gives her this. Uh, well, it gives Harry an excuse to point out you discovered positive bias, where you think of a prediction and you go test something to try and confirm that prediction, rather than as they didn't teach me at least until high school to falsify that prediction. What would you expect not to see if that was the case? So she found Kate, she, she thought of things and said, oh yeah, that fits, that fits, that fits. But she never asked herself what wouldn't fit in my mental model of what's happening here. Um, and I do think that's more counterintuitive than maybe you're expecting, but. Um, I would think, I mean, I guess I would agree to the extent, like that is a, that is a thing that we are wired to, or we are not wired to do that naturally I don't, not so much that it's like counterintuitive but like it is our our lazy brain intention to like we, we just don't do those things because we can't be bothered and i think most of us are in that state most of the time totally and i mean you read books in the history of science going back more than 400 years and that was that was everything people just walked around confirming everything they believed and i mean there's a reason that it took science until 500 four or 500 years ago to really kick off right i mean the 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 even even straight up falsification is is a relatively new idea to the endeavor of science in in the in the history of the enterprise and it's i think the purpose of uh, i'm meandering here um i'll let you jump in all right well i think what that the there's parts of this where like it does work in the story because there is this just sort of like you know, in a really good way, this nerd, you know, love for this idea. And I can totally relate to that. And, and then it is okay, because as far as like the realism of the plot right here, this is just goofy, but it works here because this is sort of like, I mean, obviously this, that's the name of the chapter. Um, Like this is the point that it was trying to get. And, and at least for this part of it, it like clicks where like, like there's just this really cool idea that the author wanted to tell us and this is him doing it. And so it's sort of like, it makes it okay. Like the disconnecting from the plot or the believability of the characters or what they're talking about, like in this moment is kind of okay because it's, it's like it's serving this other purpose around this. Like, it, and I guess it's cause you can sort of like pick up on the kind of the, the sincerity of the, of the intent behind this, where like the author's just got this, like, I just want to like, let you guys know about this really cool idea. Um, and I think maybe just like the enthusiasm for that kind of, kind of seeps through. And then, so that it makes these other things kind of not matter as much, which is that weird secret sauce to telling a story and, and suspension of disbelief is it's not necessarily the amount of disbelief you're asking me to suspend. It's the amount you're making me willing to suspend it. 
That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. It's so yeah, and so it's at these points where it's like, I, and I get, and it really is more like to the extent that you feel like that you're sympathetic to what the author's, you know, doing in that moment, or this just kind of the sincerity and the enthusiasm about it seeps through. So yeah. Nice. Well, I'm glad that landed. I putting it that way. I. I hadn't thought of it in those terms before, but that resonates with me too. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And really, I mean, it's not, and it's not like this was really much different at all. Like all the other ways that Harry's being sort of like condescending and know, and know it all guy. It's not that the facts of what's going on in the plot right here aren't really much different from that. But there's something about like the tone that just kind of takes over where. Well, in in I, I guess maybe the the leaning on the fourth wall defense, he does say. Challenging my ingenuity does make your life surreal. And this is a weird conversation. So that fits with that surrealism vibe you said was going to happen. <laughs> but she, she correctly forms a, a negative hypothesis in the form of when should the pop not vanish? And because she kept trying to think of, all right, maybe it's the robes still. And maybe we could do chocolate frogs and see if that goes away. And she says, wait, no, no, hold on. If it's the robes, uh, I, got, I want to look for a no. And so... She's like, aha, I'll pour some on the floor and see if it disappears. Maybe it's the pop. And then it was. And then she got it and she was stoked. Yeah. And then he gets up and he bows and he says, then may I help you with your research, Hermione Granger? <laughs> this is, that was probably, that line is probably my favorite part of the chapter there. Cause probably just cause I've been so like thirsty for him not being such an arrogant douche. <laughs> it was this moment of him like, it was both that like, he, you know, that that's kind of the moment where he and Hermione like make their buddy, buddy connection. That's going to be for the rest of the story. But, but also it's this like moment of him kind of putting his guard down and being like, you know, I'm not going to, I don't have to in this moment be the smartest kid in the room. Yeah. Um, and what I like too, is that it, that he finds a peer, you know, um, yeah. she's the, she is brilliant, but she's untrained and she learns really quickly. And so I think that's, that's what he sees in her. It's like, okay, cool. You didn't know in, you know, this esoteric sort of way that he put it, how to do proper science, but you, you, you learned it right away. As soon as you learned, as soon as I taught you the lesson with the two, four, six task, you successfully solved this problem and damn, you picked that up fast. So, um, he's, that he's into it and I, it, maybe I'm calling it early, but it looks like he's added a member to his party. So, uh, the probably a safe bet that he was going to add Hermione to his party. Although I'm still, I'm still bitter about Ron. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, being bitter about Ron is... If, if, this whole, if this whole plot, if this whole story goes by and Ron's just kind of like off to the side, not doing anything, then I'm, I'm judging. Judging. We'll, we'll hold on to that. We'll, we'll put that judgment <laughs> in your back pocket and see where it ends up. <laughs> I, like the, I like how they introduced Neville. She, so she's just riding the high of getting it right. And they were interrupted by a weak, tentative, faint, and rather reluctant knocking at the door. And then... He then she opens the door and it's Neville who looks just like the knock sounded, <laughs> which I thought was just a fun little play on words. I read that a couple times and chuckled. Um, so yeah, I'm wondering. Uh, I wonder how much because having just finished all the books, so my impression of Neville is from the last books and not from the beginning. Because my reaction to this was like he's such a weenie, which I know he's supposed to be. But it seemed like my reaction to it was like, oh, he's not this much of a weenie, though. Like, I wanted to see more of, like, the the hint of the badass that he's able to become uh, towards the end. Um, and I think as all of us are, like, rooting for Neville. Um, 
I so that part. So I'm I'm curious, like to what extent I'm my sort of memory of it is colored towards the end of the books. I definitely remember that at least in the first couple of books and movies, he's a total schmo, and he was just yeah. uh, he as he was the closest thing that the Harry Potter universe had to a butt monkey, right? Uh, as, lo- as long as we're naming TV tropes, that that's the trope of the the character that just gets shit on and and keeps mm-hmm. stepping in shit, right? The Squidward, the the Jerry from Parks and Rec, but J.K. Rowling was too nice to just make him full out a butt monkey. But he was he was just the sad little like eh, but eh. Um, then of course too, we don't learn until whatever book f- three or four or five. It was way on. I think it was book five in the about his canon version. Yeah, oh, I didn't know. I remembered because it was when Harry's learning all about why Voldemort chose him and what all happened that it could have been Neville and Harry has this realization oh, that yeah. like he can't believe he never asked about was, his parents. Wasn't there something dropped early? I mean, it was like sort of dropped and not expanded on at all about his like his parents' role during the war with the Death Eaters, and I want to say it was one of those just sort of like dropped and then like sort of intentionally just said matter of factly and then not gotten into but but yeah I can't, I can't remember exactly when that came in uh i feel like it was late on in the series but again was my memory is hazy there was a part two yeah. actually that i wanted to get your read on because i liked this where um harry asks hermione to get the door because he's not wearing his his face concealing scarf and it was at this point hermione realized why the boy had been wearing a scarf over his head in the first place and it felt a little silly for not realizing it earlier it was sort of odd since she would have thought that Harry Potter would be proudly displaying himself to the world, and the thought had occurred to her that he might actually be shyer than he seemed. Um, we know that Harry's professed reason for wearing the scarf is that he just doesn't want to be bothered by people. I'm, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if if that's some unreliable narrator and he just believes that about himself, or if he's actually shy. I wonder, do you think that Hermione's right about Harry, or do you think Harry's right about Harry, or do you, is there some third option? I think now that you're saying that, so I didn't, that didn't click for me in the moment I was reading it, but that fits so well. Um, and that'll be good ammo for like, if, if the author comes around, around for me and has all of this arrogance be towards a purpose and pay off, this fits that perfectly. Cause it's that, that, you know, all this arrogance is really to, you know, cover up for deep, deep nerd insecurity. Um, and so that seems like that really fits. So that that makes sense to me, and definitely that it would, you know, that that would have been on purpose. And that I didn't did, I didn't pick up on that as I was reading, but as you're saying that, that really that that sounds true to me. Nice, yeah, it didn't occur to me either until this so. read. So yeah. I'm trying to read this in my in like an analysis mode for this read through. So I I think I'm grabbing some new stuff. Oh man, yeah. So this is the part where you know Neville explains, "Hey, I lost my toad," just like he did in the original books. Lost my and, toad. And. First of all, oh, that's, right, that's a weird pet, but that's whatever. That's canon. That so yeah, fuck he always it. has a toad. And Ron <laughs> had his rat, but we're not going to ever get to see that. I mean, at least a rat, you know, is is fuzzy. I, I don't know why anyone would ever <laughs> want a toad for a pet, but I don't. If they're magically smart bunnies, I would want like thirty of those. But oh, anyway, magical pets. That's aside. true. It's a universe of oddly specific, limited number of animals. It's like toads, rats, owls, cats. Yeah, and I think I think only owls are like explicitly like smarter than they're supposed to be in the real world in Harry Potter, or at least they're just magically me- messenger pigeons. But um, well, and really good messenger pigeons too. Other alternate universe of like 
you know, South American wizard schools where they have like lemurs and pumas. And oh my God, I'd read that fan fiction. Cool. Um, uh, right. <laughs> so I, I liked this moment because it's setting it up like Harry's going to be a dick where um, Hermione, again, in her, in her lovable impulse to want to help people, she's like, oh, sure, I'll help you check all the carriages and we can go through them one by one. And Harry is like, hold on, I'm not sure if that's the best way to do it. And Neville looks like he's going to cry. And Hermione swings around, pissed. Like, if Harry Potter was the sort of person who would abandon a little boy just because he didn't want to be interrupted. And she's like, well, why not? And he's like, well, if you search the whole train by hand, there's a chance we'd miss it. And if we didn't find it by the time we got to Hogwarts, he'd be in big trouble. Just go to the front of the carriage, or go to the front carriage, ask a prefect, and see if they'll, they'll, they can magic it for you. And this is a nice humbling line by Harry Potter. He says, you know, they might have spells or magic items that make it a lot easier to find a toad. We're only first years. At least in that yeah. one sentence, he knew his place. <laughs> yeah, and this whole little this whole little section is is the other part of this chapter where I thought that he seemed very Sherlock Holmes here, not not in a, as obnoxious a way, in a, in a good way. Well, and we're about to get like the the end here. Uh, I think is really well done. Yeah. Well, before uh, I think just right then, that's when when Neville realizes that. He gasped and took a step back. I remember that voice. You're one of the Lords of Chaos. You're the one who Lord gave me chocolate. <laughs> that part was... So uh, this, whole, the, this whole part was just super weird. I think it's because it happened off screen. Yeah, so, so I guess we'll explain. So he... Uh, yeah, I guess... Well, so there's that. But also... So it turns out that, you know... So uh, Harry and George and Fred saw Neville on... This is while they were still on the platform, right? And... And they decide, I can't, what was it? I can't even remember their reasoning for it, but they decide they're going to like, quote, help Neville with his fear or something by scaring the crap out of him and then giving him chocolate. Um, which, the whole, which even as you're reading, it makes as little sense as what I just said. Um, but, and so that's why Neville just freaked out because he recognized Harry as being like one of the people that had like scared him while he was there. And then this like painful thing. So Hermione rightly goes, well, that was kind of a, douchey thing to do and then harry gives this whole speech i'm totally like going against the intent of the book here but <laughs> but this whole speech about like how well because it was for a good reason so it doesn't matter and consequentialism blah 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 um the whole thing struck me as super weird because it was like this oh it's okay if that totally freaked him out because we were just trying to help him and kind of the weird like well tell me what you thought about it um, before I do, you said that it goes against the intent of the book, uh, that reading. I, me going against, I guess at least the, cause I think at least for me, so I kind of glossed over it real quickly, but so what Harry, Harry said that he and George and Fred were by scaring Neville like that, they were doing it to help him get over his nervousness or something like that. Um, and then the point that Harry goes into is that. You know, it doesn't, the fact that it may have looked mean or that it was uncomfortable for Neville doesn't matter because uh, it's the, you know, the end result that matters. And the end result of what we were doing was good, which is arguable, but that's what Harry says. And so at least to me, I read that as like, that was the intent of the author to say that. I think he was more trying to make a, you know, general point about this, his idea of consequentialism that, um, you know, in trying to evaluate the ethics of something that you do, you have to look at, you know, what's the end result, which is fine as far as that point. But the, at least for me, it, it felt like, oh, we, like we weren't supposed to be too bent out of shape that they scared the crap out of Neville. 
because it was okay, because their reasons were, were good. That part just like the whole, that whole attitude towards it really bothered me. So I, I at least to me, as I read it, it felt like we were, we were intended to think like, like that was the point of this is for us to take away, you know, this point about that he's making about the, about consequentialism and that we weren't supposed to mind so much. I don't know. So did you think that we were supposed to dislike this, that they had done that? Yeah, I, that, that was my read. Like, I, I took Hermione's side that, you know, Harry was, he he had, or I guess he was approached with an idea for a prank that he was like, that sounds enjoyable and let's go, let's go tease him. But in a way that he gets chocolate and money and it'll be, you know, we can try and he justified, I think he, he rationalized to himself a way to pick on somebody. And then his rationalization was, oh, it's utilitarian uh, so it's okay, you know. I, I'm making, we'll make him better by doing this. So I, I think that we're supposed to. Do you think that's how that we were intended as, to see that? So that's, I mean, that's totally how I took it too. And this is where again, I'm like, I can't tell what the author is trying to to do. So do you think that was the intent in the story to for us to think about it that way, or because that's why I kept thinking like, oh no, I'm actually supposed to be buying into the thing that Harry's saying right here, and I totally don't. I don't really know how to answer that question, not because it's spoilerific, but because. Much. <laughs> no, 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 just no, no, no. It's not that at all. It's it's that I I'm wondering like what use it is speculating about what the author intended, and more about like how do I actually feel about it. You know, if if I read this and I'm supposed to feel good about it, and like if I, if I read something, I guess it's more like does this whole story play out in a way that that we are supposed to dislike this kind of behavior, or is this just you know something that happens and. I guess it's like, if, does the story come out later, like being about this kind of stuff? Like does Harry grow later and look back on maybe not this specifically, but look back on this way of looking at the world and go like, oh, wait, you know, that was kind of fucked up of me. Oh, okay. Um, so as, answering that directly would, would be spoilerific. But what I can say yeah. is that if I was supposed to agree with Harry here and that making a little boy cry was, oh no, that's okay. Cause I'm a good utilitarian. Um, I wouldn't like the book so much. This so just the fact that I'm not an asshole and I really like this book um, suggests, <laughs> without telling about anything that happens, Maybe that uh, I think I think the correct reading, if we're looking at it that way, is that this was a dick move, and whether or not Harry learns and grows from it, or he loses his friendship with Hermione, or Neville becomes a sworn enemy, or something, you know, any or some fourth alternative, I I think that. The I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I'm thinking still about this is so what the much going on was. for me with this book. With this book now, is that I, I I can't tell where we're going with it yet. So I'm like, oh, I don't like. Uh. Keep in mind that people people say by about chapter ten is where the book is. So we've got a couple more chapters, and then we'll see if things settle down. Right. But the author's intention. I feel like if you feel a certain way, it's safe to assume the author wanted you to feel that way. Now, that might be overly charitable because some people could just be bad writers. And they're like, no, no, you're really supposed to approve of how, you know, the protagonist shot that baby in the face. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe they have a really good reason. And that was the actual great thing to do. But it's it's nuanced in that you can still say they did a terrible thing, but they had a good reason for it. This doesn't seem like that kind of case, right? This seems like he it seems like you put in the notes. Um, you said... This is a lot like what James Potter did to Snape when they were kids. Yeah. And that didn't occur to me until later. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like he's being uh, a bully. 
And if this is if this is the story of a bully running around Hogwarts terrorizing people, then uh, it might be interesting. But it wouldn't be my favorite book if it, if that was it. That's my really so, long answer to the to that question. <laughs> right. I need, I need to trust the author. Well, that's the good thing. Like it really, the stuff really does have me wound up about it. So I think that's that says a lot about what's going on. Your emotion, you're emotionally charged. Maybe that's the goal. Yeah, and because we all care about these characters so much, so which is the fun of making this. You know, like we talked about in the in the first episode. You know, part of the fun of doing a fan fiction is that you don't have to create the universe from scratch. But there's yeah. also the rapport that people have with the characters. And we are we all already love Harry, Hermione, Ron, Neville, Fred and George, all the, you know, the, the gang, the squad, everybody, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think the author knows that and is, is playing with those instruments, if that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Whether or not everyone plays the same role that they played in the original books is, you know, this, this, takes, this is its own take. But uh, the, I'm trying to articulate this. I think if, if Harry was so different uh i'm gonna be be repeating myself so i'll leave it at that but yeah so you 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 did have in here too that when did he meet fred and george because he explains that that's what happened and it was when at the end of the last chapter he's approached by two robed and uh people with scarves around their face and said would you like to join the order of chaos like and we fade to black and we just know that that something happened yeah so it it seems like it might have been ominous or whatever but it turns out it was actually you called it i think you said it was fred and george i don't remember what i thought when i first read it okay i think that's why i didn't because i was trying to be like wait was this whole thing happened and okay that makes sense yeah that was my biggest beef Oh, and, and, and I think it was a little confusing because it happened off screen, but it also landed for comedic effects just because, like, <laughs> the, without, uh, since we didn't know what happened, when Neville says, you're the one who gave me chocolate, and Harry's like, what? I never. Do I look like the sort of villain who'd give sweets <laughs> to a child? Uh, so it, that, that, I think, has a comedic beat that wouldn't have landed the same way if we saw it happen first. That's true. This next part, this is my, this coming up. This was probably my favorite part of the of the chapter, the way it wrapped up. Because so Neville comes back, um, basically saying, "Well, the prefects just told me to go away," um, and the, Harry just gets pissed. And it's a co- I guess it's good because it sort of like takes this like aggressive energy that we've had from from Harry so far, and it like he like uses it for good. Um, so it was just really, and it was like seeing this the super positive side to Harry of like this is. This and something very like true to the original Harry is this like loyalty to his friends thing, and then when Harry hears that like they basically blew Neville off, he's like, no fuck that, uh, come with me, we'll get this straightened out. And he and he decides also that he's going to use his status as the boy who lived to you know get shit done. Um, so I like like here it was this really kind of nice like clean morality seems like the, too abstract the word just like this sudden moment of like no you're my friend which is and this sort of like okay now neville is his friend um and i'm gonna take care of you um so it was nice because it also fit well with like it was a good it was in character for the way he's been coming across uh as this kind of super in your face guy it was like okay this is a good time for that this is we can use this here um so i thought this was really well done yeah it it shows that he and you're right, it's similar to like the kind of like icy dickishness that he was arguing with uh, Professor McGonagall with. Like he, he gets like, yeah. you know, cold and he's like, wait, are you kidding? Fuck that. And but he's channeling it for good this time. 
I like that a lot. There was a there was a yeah. quote before that that I that just made me laugh, and I wanted to pull out where because he he had finished his rationalization to Hermione about you know why he did what he did, and she's just like, "That's awful. You're awful. That poor boy. What you did was mean." And that's where he gives his utilitarian bullshit, um, which mm-hmm. I'm not saying utilitarianism is bullshit, but this definitely isn't how it would manifest in the real world if you're trying to be a good ethicist, I would argue. But then Hermione asks him, is your life always this peculiar? And then Harry Potter's face gleamed with pride. I make it that per- that peculiar. What You're looking at the product <laughs> of a lot of hard work and elbow grease. <laughs> I just like that he likes to... I think there was something about the, the the use of the phrase elbow grease that seemed... It was like out of place in a good way. It's like, it's not a phrase that I would picture him tossing around, but... I just like how he's like, no, I try to make my life weird. Yeah. Which I can't say I do that much. I think it sounds exhausting, but there are a couple things that are not related to this podcast that I do once in a while that I try to make things fun. At the, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, too far of an aside. Because we're we've, there was one other point that jumped out when Harry asked before he went off with neville he's like were his colors green and silver and he says no they were red and neville says they were red and gold and hermione says those are gryffindor colors and you you got asked you know so what gryffindor sucks what 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 were you thinking when you wrote when you read and wrote well, that? I, I, and this worked well too i think that uh well yeah that's so that's kind of how we're left at the end of this chapter is that oh look gryffindor totally like let neville down it's sort of like the the author planting a flag around, you know, we're not being Gryffindor. Um, and I think it's sort of, I'm not sure yet how he's formulating what he thinks Gryffindor means, but what he's saying though, he's, he's picked Ravenclaw as the thing that he's going to, I think it's going to, you know, represent this whole, you know, group of ideas around rationality um, that this other more, this other way of dealing with the world that gets a lot more attention is not always very cool. And that that's sort of when I say like planning a flag, he's like, this is going to be about this rationality way of doing things that we think is better. So, but I thought it was, but it, and it did sort of, cause that it was sort of vague, I think in the books, the original books about like, what did this, cause Rowling always did kind of set up this like, okay, there's different characters to the different, different houses and, and what that means and, and what it meant for Gryffindor was something, you know, bravery sort of kind of, but it was kind of vague what that means, but that, you know, that that way of looking at things as being like, quote, the best, you know, attitude to take into any kind of problem is not always very good. And that this is one of those situations where, you know, because Neville's problems aren't, you know, dramatic enough or, you know, requiring charging off and defeating some enemy that, um, that they're not important enough for a Gryffindor. So I thought this was a good way to, I mean, it was good to just sort of, again, to kind of like, you know, lay the groundwork for this is what this kind of story is going to be, but also kind of show, cause that did seem, it does seem in character for so the, that kind of vague idea of kind of bravery and glory or whatever kind of does leave a lot of things just kind of left in the lurch. So I thought that was good. That's awesome. That's that's a much. Uh, it was both both good as an idea, and then there was also a good way to wrap the chapter. Up. That's, and that's a much deeper analysis than I had of it. Um, I think that's that's interesting because you're right. Like, there's nothing glorious about finding a toad. Maybe my 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 read was very simplistic. It was just that you know, prefect is some 16 year old kid who's probably you know talking with a 16 year old girl um, and didn't want to be bothered by running off and doing something that again wasn't heroic and that 
I think it was just illustrating that just because you're in Gryffindor doesn't make you a hero, like doesn't necessarily mean that you're a yeah. hero. Oh, I was, you know, because I was picturing like he probably was taught, he probably talked to Percy Weasley, who was like a total oh, douchebag to, to him. And, yeah, and he like, was a prefect in book right, one, he wasn't he? A Gryffindor. Yeah, he was a, he was a Gryffindor prefect in the, yeah, in the first one. I was actually, I was kind of expecting that they would have like called him out, like that we were going to read that name or something, but. Oh, yeah. But I think, I mean, this fits in. It feels like this is like a larger theme that they're building up, which, which, and this part I think does does work like the classic you know nerd story of you know the mean jock guy who gets girls and gets all the attention and then us nerds and that we get treated badly and i'm doing a shitty job of of summing that up because i because it's doing in a way that i think works where it's like you know we're seeing the nerd side of the story and i think that's kind of how he's setting up what gryffindor means it's just sort of like Gryffindor is the cool kids, um, and this is going to be the story of the not cool kids. And I'm not doing a very good job of, of describing what I mean, but but because no, I, I think, think that that's, think a, that's an idea that that is working that he's kind of that he's building up, and I think that's working pretty well because I think that's a a core theme we can all relate to. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. But I thought I, th- I think it worked both well as like a way to kind of keep working that theme, and it was also just a good plot way to to wrap this chapter up. So this is a good little, like, as far as, you know, that we are doing these very kind of episodically. This was a good episode in the way that kind of started with, okay, we're going to bring in Hermione, we're going to develop, we're going to introduce Neville, we're going to, you know, kind of create these friendship attachments between them, and then kind of, you know, bookend that with with this idea of, you know, basically Ravenclaw versus Gryffindor. Interesting. Well, we'll see where that pans out. I do, I, I'm being vague, not because that wasn't interesting, but because commenting is you know, dangerous from my, from my perspective, but that's a really <laughs> cool read. And I think that that's, uh, like I said, it, it was definitely a lot more than I read into it when I first read it. So that was awesome. I did have, since we kind of talked through what positive bias is already, I, I had a, an idea for, uh, since we kind of talked about during the episode, what positive bias was. Um, so, and you, you even called out in the notes, Hey, that's positive bias. That's the name of the test. This, or that's the name of the chapter. This will be on the test. So mm-hmm. you beat me to the punch on that one. <laughs> that was the rationalist technique I was teaching in this chapter. And not every chapter is named after a technique that it tries to teach you. But uh, certainly at the beginning, it, it, I think, tries to do it most chapters. Yeah. Um, and this kind of stuff, like, and that's what I said, like, there's kind of a, there's a nerdish charm to the, to the way that is done. So I think, like, these kinds of things are, uh, they work well in the story. Nice. And, and they do become more, like, seamless later on where... It feels more natural, um, like it, and it, I think because it, it becomes less of like an explicit aside. There are those, but it it's more built into an actual story. Right now, we don't really know what the story is, right? We don't really yeah. we don't really have the plot. We just have the uh, handful of the characters. But since we already talked about positive bias, and I'm pretty sure you'd pass the quiz. Um, have you ever heard of the game slash task called Petals Around the Rose? There's a there's a task or puzzle. Kind of like the two four six task called Petals Around the Rose. Petals Around the Rose. I have not heard of that. All right, then I'm going to share my screen with you, and this won't be exactly as fun to listen to, but I think the the fun will play out. Uh, well, we'll see if it makes good audio, but I want to do it anyway. So let's see. Share screen. This one. All right, you can see my screen. I'm going to zoom in here. So the game is called Petals Around the Rose. The way this works is I will tell you. A number and we can roll as ma- we can roll dice as many times as you want and I want you to try and figure out 
how I'm generating the number that I'm generating. Unfortunately, this doesn't lend itself to the same sort of, um, it's not as straightforward of, uh, well, we'll just get into it and I'll talk about it after if this sounds like fun. All right. What do you think? Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, what are we doing? I don't know. All right. So I will tell you that on this dice roll, the answer is six. And so if you, you can you can either try and guess how I got that number, or you can ask me to roll again. Uh, roll again. All right. The answer here is ten. Oh, I should be reading the dice that show up on the screen for the for the listeners. Otherwise, uh, yeah. this is completely boring. <laughs> it was three 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 two two. You said it was six. What was the dice that were on the first one? Uh, three 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 two two. Perfect. All right. And so this one is three five three three six. And the answer here is 10. Can I ask you questions or do I just have to keep? Uh, I think, I, I yeah, ask a question and I'll just... I'll ask it anyway. You can tell me whether you feel like answering. Is the, fa- is the fact that it's dice significant or would this be the same if it was just n- numbers written down? Can't answer that. All right. That's a yes. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, taking that as a guess. I mentioned that, that it's so a visual far. aid, right? If, if I could just be telling you numbers, then we wouldn't need mm-hmm. the visual aids. So, all right. We're going to roll again. All right. Roll again. All right. The dice this time are one, five, four, six, and two. And the answer on this one is four. Mm, all right. Keep going. All right. The dice on this one is two, six, six, five, and four. And the answer is four. Uh, so far, every number you said is even. Uh, ten has been one. All right. Keep going. All right, we'll do a few more, but I'll ask at this point, are you feeling any sympathy for Hermione and her her struggling with the 246 task? Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. My head's all in the game now. So the dice on this roll is five, five, three, two, and six, and the answer is uh, 10. The answer is 10. I'm like trying to count this. Yeah, I think part of the problem is I haven't even found very many positive answers that could explain it. Um, you still have only said even numbers, though. I wonder if that means anything. And the, it was 10 is the answer to this one? 10 is the answer on this one. Okay. All right, we'll do a couple more. Last, or Actually, yeah, no, second so to last more one. If, see if I could experiment with it. It would be, uh, okay, if it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, what would the answer be? If it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, the answer would be 6. If it was 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, what would the answer be? 6. All right. If it was five, 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 what would the answer be? Twenty. Uh, six, 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 six. Zero. Zero. Interesting. I keep thinking it's got something to do with the shape of the dice, but that zero throws me off. Sounds like the order doesn't matter though. Um, two, two, four, four, one. Zero. Four, four, two, two, one. Zero again. Two, four, two, four, one. Zero still. One, two, two, four, four. Zero. All right. I don't think the order matters then. Let me see. Four, four, two, two is. So that's eight, 12. Those add up to 13 and you're telling me zero. Probably not it. So you haven't found something to latch onto yet. You still haven't said an odd number yet though, have you? Three, 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 three. Ten. Huh. Um, all twos. Five twos. Zero. Zero. Five ones. Zero. Uh, five fours. Zero. Five fives. 20. Weird. I can give you a clue again, or if you'd like at this point. Uh, what, was, what was five threes? Five threes was 10. 10. So I think there's some number of points on, uh, and five sixes is what? 
Zero. Zero. Uh, is it that it's got uh, five ones? Is what? Zero. All right. I've got some lame idea that it's the number that are in the corner, but only when there's a something in the middle. But that's weak. How would you, how would you test that? Or I should say, um, to quote Harry, is that your answer? Uh, no. Let me see. So it, uh, then it would be ones, three. So threes and fives are the only things I've found. Uh, three, five, three, five, three. Oh, wait. If I'm right, so uh, six, three, five, three, five, three. Is that 14? Or three, five, yeah, three, five, three, five, three. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, so a three is worth two and a five is worth four, but I don't know if that's why. And a six is worth nothing. And a one is worth nothing. I think it has to do with the shape of the dice. It's not just because it's numbers. And I think it has to do with whether or not there's a spot in the center. But so is that four? One 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 four five. Is that worth four? Yes. Am I okay? Am I right? Well, so it would just end up being that a five is worth four, a three is worth two, and everything else is worth nothing. Is that? That's correct. That's that's the solution. Oh uh, yeah. Was it? Is that that there's a spot in the middle? Yeah, and the the hint is the name of the mm. game, Petals Around the Rose, where the dot, the pip in the middle is the center of the rose, and the petals are the ones around it. So if there's a center pip, you count the okay. pips around it, and if there is no center pip, or if, the, if there's only a center pip, you don't count those. So I guess I couldn't, we, we couldn't tell that that's what I was doing very easily for me, just rattling off numbers. But yeah, I was like, okay, go through, I'll do all of this number, all of that number for me to try to figure out if there was something about them. Try to figure out if order mattered, figured out that order does not matter. But see, wasn't that fun? Uh, nah, hmm. All right, let me scratch that. Maybe that wasn't <laughs> fun. Wasn't that enlightening? And doesn't that give you a little more sympathy for for Hermione's position of just having somebody give uh, feedback to random questions or even know, to, right? to random integers. Yeah. Actually, it was pretty, kind of the, very much the same game. Maybe the lesson didn't, didn't land at all, but we'll see if people are loved or hated it. I will definitely trim it down, <laughs> but before I do, I will find out how long it, we were playing that for because I'll cut out a lot of the pauses, but it was maybe yeah. uh, maybe 10 minutes. Really? I'll, that long? Yeah, I'll, just... I'll find out in post and put it in the, in the yeah. author or put it in the show notes. Uh, anyway, so that was Petals Around the Rose, which I thought was a fun analogy to uh, to two four six. Like I said, the downside, unless you're very a, unless you're able to very quickly visualize the die as you were saying them, and it was it was a lot faster and more interactive when you were listing them off. Um, yeah. Then you know, unless you're picturing them and counting them in your head that way, you're not going to get the exact same feedback. But I couldn't I couldn't think of another test that was like the two four six test. So. All right. I never heard that's of that. all I've got for this episode, man. How about you? I think that's it. Actually, we talked cool. about quite a bit for it being such a quick little bit of plot. Yeah, this was a shorter chapter, and when I was I read it a lot faster than I thought I was going to. But yeah, there's there's plenty to talk about. So I think for the next episode we will do chapters nine and ten, which it's worth relaying that for fun. When this first came out, apparently. The author said that if anyone guessed what the last sentence in chapter nine was talking about, he would tell them the entire rest of the plot. I don't know if anyone Someone won did. and kept their secrecy, or I'm sure I could dig that up, actually. I have this vague recollection of somebody winning and say, no thanks, don't tell me the rest of the plot. But I'll try and verify that by the time we get around to uh, recording hmm. the next episode. All right. So there's a big cool. payoff at the end of the chapter, then? Yep. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Alrighty. But we'll find out next week on We Want More. Bye, everybody. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Brian. See ya. 
All right. Welcome back to We Want More, the podcast where we totally botched the beginning, and I don't know what I'm trying to say. So, <laughs> Brian, you take it from here. <laughs> uh, you know hello, what? I actually want to take to that again. We Want More, and Brian pretending that he knows how to introduce a podcast. Do you want to do this again? I actually really hate that. Let's do it again. Should we start? All right. Starting from the I'll top. We don't, we don't this, have to this, all right. cut it. Okay. Ready, set, go. <laughs>